0: amen how many guys are bird lovers Carly Robert where you guys at yeah you bird lovers right yeah, sometimes they're kind of freaky though listen to this right there's this lady she's walking down the street to work right and of course she's walking along she sees this parrot there uh, in the pet store and so she stops obviously to admire the bird right bird's cr- kind of cool and, and so all of a sudden the, the parrot though he pipes up he looks at the lady and he goes hey lady you're ugly Oh man, this lady, she's furious, right? And so she storms past that store on her way to work. And well, on the way home from work, she, she stops by again. She sees that same parrot in the window and the parrot, he sees her and he says, hey lady, you're really ugly. Oh man, she's fuming, man, big time. And so the next day uh, to work, she, she sees the same parrot again and he does the same thing again. And so she's so furious, man. This time she goes into the store. She threatens to sue the store owner or have that bird killed. And so the store owner, he apologized profusely. says, hey, that bird will never, ever, ever do it again. So, sure enough, the next day the lady walks past the store after work, and, and the parrot says to her, Hey, lady! And she looks at it with this real mean scowl. She goes, Yes? And the bird simply says, You know. <laughs> Now, how many you guys would say that lady's gonna have parrot soup for supper that night? You know what I'm saying? She's gonna buy it and take care of the situation, okay? But the bigger problem there, or the bigger issue that's going on there, is this let's just be honest, ladies, you can be a little sensitive about your appearance, right? Okay, a little sensitive, okay. And uh now, unfortunately, there are some people who should be sensitive about their appearance, but they're apparently not. Okay? Can anybody guess who that might be? It's we, the church, folks, when we're walking around acting like we got this practical amnesia thing. You talk about giving an ugly appearance to the world. What are we doing? We say we know who we are as the church, but half the time with our lips and our lives, what are we doing? We act like we don't even know who we are, okay? And folks, as we've been seeing, this is not just detrimental in our walk with Christ. That could keep somebody from coming to Christ. And so in order for you and I to avoid this irony of Christians living with practical amnesia, not knowing who we are, we're gonna continue our study in the word of God, on the people of God, entitled the character of the church. Let's get back to who God defines who we are and get busy living it. Amen. And we've already seen the first thing about the church, pretty basic, but we don't even remember that one. Apparently the church is the body of Christ. We are the church, not a building that we don't go to church. We are the church. Okay. Then we saw that we are a body of one, a body of hope, a body of joy, a body of love, a body of peace, a body of strangers, a body of disciples, a body of servants, a body of rebels, a body of worshipers. And last time we are a body Of warriors. You're a soldier for Jesus Christ. Now, unfortunately, that's clearly what the scripture says all over the place. We're supposed to be these warriors of God fighting this great cosmic battle, doing great things for Jesus, but what's going on? We're going to AWOL, man. We've even actually we've actually stopped fighting the battle. It's crazy. Why? Because we deny that there's even a battle in the first place. As crazy as this is, 65% of professing Christians across America don't even believe in a literal Satan. That's nuts. And then we started sabotaging the, the battle. The enemy's not only infiltrated the church, he's infiltrated so much that he gets us not to fight him, but to fight each other and to blow everything up. It's crazy. And then we saw, listen, we're running from the battle. We either go wall and say, well, I just don't need to serve anymore. Get involved. Let those young whippersnappers do that. Excuse me, show me the verse. Retirement comes in heaven hello or number two when you do blow it and you want to serve jesus christ the enemy acts like you god can't use you anymore was anybody encouraged last week about how we brought out the biblical truth that if god could use a liar a murderer and an adulterer he could use you and me yeah because read the bible man he's always used messed up people turn to somebody and say man you're messed up <laughs> But praise God for his grace. He can still use you, amen? So don't let the enemy, even if you do blow it as a Christian, you do what he says to do. Confess your sins. He's faithful and just. He'll forgive you of all sins and get right back up, amen? And start serving Jesus as that great warrior for him. But that's not all. Debbie, I'm still preaching. Guess what? There's got to be more and the prophet Debbie has spoken again, folks. This is amazing, right? The 13th thing we need to know, folks, about us, if we're gonna stop acting like we got um, practical amnesia, is we are called to be what? witnesses, not hoarders, not people who are freaking out, witnesses, man, of all times, man, that we're studying this, okay, it's this Sunday, but again, I didn't say it, this is straight from Jesus, okay, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1 is our opening text there, and of course, Acts was written for those lumberjacks up north, No, that's a nice one, Nathan. That's cool. I know it sounds like that, but that's A-X-E. This is A-C-T-S. And actually, it used to be church history. It's technically in the manuscripts, the Acts of the Apostles, okay? This is the the transferring from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the amazing things that God did to uh, validate uh, the changing of the covenant from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. But here it is. This is chapter one, which is obviously, for those of you hooked on math, before chapter two, which is where chapter two is the birth of the church. So this is Jesus ascending to the right hand of the Father But he's going to tell them, but when I go, I'm going to send something to you for a specific purpose and then the church is born, right? But that's the context. Let's go ahead and read as we stand and read God's holy word. Here's what it says. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, Jesus, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom Kingdom of God, And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be what? Baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together and they asked him, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the king of Israel? And he says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will what? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my what? Witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and Where? And even to the ends of the earth, you may be seated if you can. But again, this is a classic passage. Jesus, he's ascending to the right hand of the Father. The church isn't born, but he makes an amazing promise. He says, listen, when I go, I'm going to give you a comforter. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit is going to come down. And he gives us that what? Okay, as Paul says, the Holy Spirit is when you get born again at the moment of salvation, God indwells you by his Holy Spirit, you become his temple. Ephesians 1 said God's spirit is our deposit guaranteeing our salvation, our inheritance that we're gonna get to heaven because it's all done with the work of Jesus Christ, right? But he also says here that he's going to send the Holy Spirit not just to guarantee our salvation, it's God's, uh, our boom, Paul talks about it, engagement ring, right? That's literally what the Greek says there. Uh, but he says he's going to give us the spirit so that we can get wild and crazy, roll around on the ground, swing from the chandeliers. That's why he's given us the spirit of God. No, no, he's given us the Holy Spirit so we can wow people with our spiritual abilities. No, we can lift heavy weights for Jesus. That's the power we need. To... He's given us his spirit, not only as the deposit a guarantee of our salvation, praise God, But he's also given us his powerful spirit so we can be powerful witnesses, okay? Witnesses, it's right there, it's obvious. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit, right? And notice it wasn't just in the localized area. It was wherever you're at, okay, all the way to the ends of the what? The earth. So we are witnesses locally to globally. Okay, basically, here's the acid test. How do you know if you should witness to somebody? Right, you put your hand over their mouth, and if you feel air, you witness to that person. <laughs> They're still breathing, for those of you wondering what that means. Okay, yeah, because it's everybody. It's to the ends of the earth, okay? Now, not only that, he not only says, that's why I'm giving you the Holy Spirit, another reason, and here's the parameter. It's all the way over the whole earth, okay? In case you're wondering, he says, number two, uh, three, he says, what did he say? He says, we might be powerful witnesses, no, 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 he, he said we need to think about being a powerful witness for Jesus one day, someday, if it works out with their schedule. No, 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 we need to launch a specialized committee so that we can discover the feasibility of whether or not we should be powerful witnesses or maybe we can hire somebody else to do it for us. That's what he meant. No, he says you will, individually, every born-again Christian, you will be his witnesses even to the ends of the earth. So here's my point. Come on, that's, that's basic. That's basic Christianity. We know that the reason why we're still here Right? Have you ever wondered why, when you get saved, you don't immediately die and go to heaven? It's not just because that happens if you eat chicken. You know, that, that, that it is a possible danger. No, no, seriously. What, I mean, why, why are we still here? Why doesn't God, as soon as you get saved, bang, He takes us to heaven? Because He's got a mission for us while we're here. Now, some of us get more time, some of us get less time. But you're going to die on time. One guy said, I'm going to make it the last thing I do, personally. Okay, but you're born on time, you're gonna die in time. But the point is, what are we supposed to be doing? We're, he leaves us here because we're to be witnesses. We're to share the gospel. I mean, that's common sense. I mean, that's just like, that's just, everybody knows that as a Christian, that the church is to be a body of witnesses, that man, we are concerned about the loss. We're sharing the gospel to as many as we can, local to global. It doesn't matter where we're at. And we're always praying, God, to open up the doors, bring somebody my way. I wanna tell them about you. That's what we're doing, right? Man, I wish it was true. That ain't what's going on, folks. It doesn't look like we're willing witnesses declaring the gospel of God. I don't know about you, but it looks like we're disobedient Christians actually like we're ashamed of God. I mean the gospel means good news, not bad news. What are we doing here? Okay, why is it that we Christians who are supposed to be witness for Christ for declaring the gospel to the lost actually look like pff, we could give a rip about the lost. This is a major core of our identity. We're here to share the gospel. Well, I've got a couple reasons why. And the first one is you'll notice really what people live for by their prayers. And you know one thing I've learned over in 20 some years of ministry and pastoring in several different churches now? We just flat out don't even pray for the lost. Now that's crazy. Because you look at even the Apostle Paul. And man, he says, I'm not, I, I'm just, I, I don't have a desire to share the gospel. I am praying, I'm interceding for people that they would respond to the gospel. That's just common sense. I mean, if you're cared about the lost, you're gonna pray for them, right? And that's what he says here, Romans 1 through four. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my what? Prayer to God is that the Jewish people, what? Might be saved. I, I, I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it's misdirected zeal, for they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Instead, they're clinging to their own way of getting right with God by trying to keep the law they, they won't go along with God's way. For Christ accomplished the whole purpose of the law that all who believe in Him, Jesus, that's how you're made right with God. And so Paul, he simply says here, listen, this is a great, he, he's a, listen, one of my greatest longings in the Greek is this biggest, huge, massive desire of Paul's heart it wasn't just for the church and the church to to grow up and be disciples and to be the bride of christ and to be mature of course that but paul says here i've got another great longing that's in my heart and i long that the jewish people might be saved why because he says they're going the wrong way because there's only one way and they're going the wrong way to try to get to heaven. They listen. They actually think still to this day that you can get to heaven by keeping the law, by doing uh, enough supposed good deeds. right? And it's a good thing that even today, in, in, uh, the non-Jewish people, the people around us, they don't think that it's the same thing how many times you hear from people well as long as i you know 51 percent versus 49 you know my good works can kind of outweigh and somehow that's going to tip the scales and i'm in like flint right no no sometimes you if i go to church services that's going to save no if i get dunked in water that's going to save me if i try to be a good american and not kick my dog too much i'm going to heaven. no you're not You don't get saved by your works. The Jewish people got it wrong. Our world still gets it wrong. They think even trying to be religious instead of bowing a knee before Christ, that's how you get there. And Paul says, oh, man, they're getting it wrong. And and he says, listen, I don't just want them to be saved. I'm not just thinking about them to be saved. I'm not just hoping that they're going to be saved. He says what? I am praying. I'm praying that God would open their hearts, that they would remove the scales and the hardness from their heart, that God, they would see that there's only one way. It's not by trying to earn your way to heaven because you can't. It's by accepting the cross of Christ. I'm praying for them. I'm interceding for them. So here's my point. That's what we're doing too, right? Because we got the same people all around us, our neighbors, our family members, our coworkers, everybody across our nation. Yeah, apparently, as we saw before the statistic, apparently you just say you're a Christian somehow you are one we need to intercede we need to pray but folks that's not what we're doing we're not praying to God on behalf of the lost we're praying for anything and everything but the lost man this is nuts we're praying for healing we pray for health we pray for jobs we pray for wealth we pray for toilet paper I even went on Amazon and it said those three scary words out of stock give us two American are you kidding me what, what, do we, what do we we pray for anything and everything but the lost now again hey god says don't be anxious about anything if you do have a need okay which by the way i don't th- know what you've been eating but nobody needs four thousand rolls of toilet paper <laughs> <laughs> okay so if you got a need of some practical pray So he says you present your request to God. Enjoy his peace. Don't be anxious. Don't worry about your life. So I'm not saying you can't pray about practical things. Of course you can. But folks, not at the expense of, listen, never interceding and praying for the lost. You're off target, man. Because Jesus left us here to be a witness. And we don't just think that they'd be saved or let somebody else do the witnessing to get them saved. We need to intercede. Oh God, please open their eyes. I will say this. I'm not into legalism, but Christian, come on. This is at the core of who we are as Christians. If you're not every day praying for somebody, interceding, God, please open their heart, open their eyes, something's wrong. Is there even anybody you're praying specifically by name to come to Christ every day? There should be a ton of people. But you take a look at what we're doing, folks. For some goofball reason, we pray for anything and everything but the loss. Let me give you some common, common prayer requests habitually in churches today okay here's here's the it is hey if we pray for somebody to be healed of cancer man that comes up all the time doesn't it but stop and think about it. that's not bad we should do that but if they still don't know christ as their savior what what good is that ultimately you could be healed of cancer but if you don't know Jesus, you're still doomed so how come we don't ever tack that on right think about it if we pray for our kids to do well in school but they don't know the savior what good is that ultimately if we pray for that our loved ones find a good job but they just don't have a relationship with god what good is that right if we pray for somebody's practical needs yet getting saved their greatest spiritual needs still not met what did we really accomplish if we pray for somebody to get a house and yet they're not going to a mansion in heaven that place is going to burn up right what, what, what do we accomplish if we pray for god to fix a person's car but not fix their soul what good is that? If we pray for a loved one's financial need but they're, they don't have eternal riches in Christ what good is that? And if we pray for somebody to have a heart surgery but they don't have a new heart from Jesus what did they accomplish? I mean think about it folks if we pray for somebody in a depressing situation but they still don't know the joy of salvation what did we accomplish? And if we pray for somebody to have traveling mercies that's a popular one but these people are still traveling on their way straight to hell come on we're missing the boat. Yeah, pray for that, but come on. Where's the interceding for the lost? Folks, the point is this, man. If, we, if, we, if we've actually stopped praying for the lost, that, that's a heart revealer. Do you even know why we're still here? It's not to store up toilet paper. It's not to store up even treasures here on earth, but treasures in heaven. You can't take nothing with you. Naked we came in, naked you get out, except you can have the privilege of leading souls to Christ and laying crowns at his feet. That's it. Everything else will burn. And so surely, that is what we're praying. I hope so. If we stop praying for the lost who still don't know Christ, come on, man. How can you really call yourself a witness for Christ? You can't even pray. Which leads us to the second thing. We only don't pray. We don't even open up our mouth. When we do encounter these people, it's one thing to pray in the background. That's good, but you know there, there is the other half to that story, you know. You know, Paul says, how beautiful are the feet of those who what? Bring the good news, right? So we all know that, okay, at least like, you're praying, that's good, okay, but it's not an either or situation. You gotta open your mouth. Uh, last time I checked in years of ministry and certainly in the Bible, which is more importantly, uh, the way that people get saved is you don't just stare them to Jesus. no. You, you just, you, you act really nice and somehow through spiritual observation they will know everything about the gospel and their need of Jesus. No, you gotta open your mouth. You gotta say something. Folks, we ain't even doing that. And that's sad. That's really sad, okay? But here's what Paul says. Again, let's go back to Romans. Romans chapter one. Man, he's, he's willing to speak up on behalf of anybody, right? Here's what he says. I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks. Okay, how many guys are Greek? Raise your hand praise God none of you okay how many guys are non-Greek raise your hand now those of you didn't raise your hand I don't know if you're aliens from another planet or mannequins I don't know maybe that's our way of making us feel better that there's only three people here today and we're loading up the pews no hopefully there's more than that at least five but uh, no (laughs) but Greeks non-Greeks what's he saying everybody right that's the point Greeks, non-Greeks, okay, both to the wise and the foolish. I won't ask you to do hands on that. We'll have a church split. Uh, that's why he says, I'm eager to preach uh, the gospel to also you who are in Rome. He says, why? Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. What's the word gospel mean? Ungelion. In the Greek, it means good news, right? You know where that word comes from? It's actually a, a word that the Romans would use. Like Typically, when uh, the Roman generals would win a major victory, they, they would come into town, they'd have this parade, right? And it, it, with all the spoils, right? And then they would do something nice to celebrate for the people. Like they would say, we are going to, listen, we are going to cease all taxes for a whole year. And everybody says, what are you trying to judge me? What are you trying to ruin my day? What are you trying to scare me? Who do you think you are? I'm fine, just leave me alone. <laughs> no, are you kidding me? That's who on Galeon. That's good news. That's the word that's used with the gospel. That when we share the gospel, there's nothing to be ashamed about. We got something better than a year off from Texas. You can be saved forevermore, from hell, forever. You can go to heaven. Woohoo! I'm not ashamed of the good news of Christ. Do You see what's going on here? Right? And that's what he says. He says, because it's the power of God for salvation to how many? Everyone, man, who believes no matter what you've done, where you've been, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, I don't care what you've done, there is no sin bigger than the cross of Christ. It's good news. And you save forevermore, he'll forgive you of for everything. He'll rescue you from hell. He'll give you heaven on top. It's good news. So that's what Paul was saying. He says, man, he says, one of the, another great longings of his life was not just praying for the lost, it's what? What'd you say there? I'm eager to shh, shh share the gospel and again paul did that by staring viciously at people no he taped as we saw last week gospel tracks to his eyelids so every time he blinked they did the work for him no when you share the gospel what paul do that's the code word for mouth moving he he said something come on he didn't just pray for the lost he shared with the lost he opened his mouth he told them about the claims of Christ he told them about the wages of sin is death that unless you get right with God through the one and only way through Jesus Christ you're doomed but praise God he's willing to save you and that when you come to Christ there is nothing neither height nor depth nor length nor breadth nor angels nor demons nothing in life could separate you from the love of God he opened his mouth so surely that's what we're doing well first of all I don't know where Shirley is but she needs to stop calling me that but what? Are you kidding me, folks? This is crazy. It's not only that we're not praying for the lost, man, we don't even share with the lost. And yet, Paul says specifically there in that passage, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Folks, are we ashamed of the gospel? I mean, the word says good news. Now, I know we say that, and I know that's the right answer. But I listen to some verbiage from Christians. You know, oh, yeah, I probably should, you know, share the gospel more. Right? and of course you gotta talk like that when you feel guilty and uh, like a surfer dude or something apparently but no no you heard the comments right You said, "Well, well what, what, if they, what if they reject me no 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 what if they think I'm you know kind of weird you know like a religious wacko or... no no what, what if they think that I, I'm judging them or, or what if they get mad at me that they don't want to be my friend anymore I'd rather have you love me enough as a friend and tell me how to escape from hell than shut your mouth and shake my hand all the way there if you love me, you're going to love me enough to at least, at least give me an opportunity to escape hell and go to heaven. But every one of those statements, what is it implying? And I'm talking from the Christian. You're implying that what we have to share is not the good news, it's the bad news. Right? It's not the gospel. It's, it's horrible. It's like, ugh, why would God make me do this? This is, I mean, telling people how to escape from hell and go to heaven. Oh, God, oh, please, not me. Are you ashamed? Nobody has better news than us. And it's a privilege. We're the newspaper boy, the newspaper girl. We, we can't do the saving, but we got to deliver it. Now, I, I wish I had a button, when, when I deliver it, I can make him be saved. But Paul clearly says, listen, that's out of your hands. You just share the good news. You deliver the newspaper right? We get to plant, we get to water, but who gives the increase? Only God. So we're not hung up but they don't get saved right away but we, we're actively sh- praying, we're actively sharing and you know what folks, to be honest with you, I think most of the times Christians, instead of just understanding what's there to be ashamed of? think about it. What is there, the enemy's got it so twisted in our brains. What is there to be ashamed of telling somebody how to get to heaven no matter what you've done, no matter your background, no matter how many sins you've done, I don't care what it is, Jesus is willing to forgive you and to take you to heaven. What's so rotten about that? And yet, I think typically the only way we finally get around to sharing the gospel is we've got to be scared into it. Like this guy. Remember this video?
1: Let's take a look. Here at the National Institute for Student Ministries, we've discovered a new method of evangelism that is shaking the very foundation of our thinking. It may appear unorthodox, but frankly, we're shocked with the results. We're amazed at this revolutionary idea, especially designed to boost student evangelism. Why did I want to be the evangelism linebacker? Well, let me put it to you like this. Baby, next time I'm gonna hit you so hard, you're gonna go on to flight, Ness is gonna think I didn't launch a satellite. You see, as a fish was created to swim in water, as a bird was created to fly, I was created to knock people out who don't evangelize. The evangelism linebacker deals directly with a variety of students' fears associated with sharing their faith. All right, it's all you, this house has got your name on it.
0: I'm not ready yet.
1: What makes you think I'm ready though? Fear of rejection, for example.
0: Let me talk to you about fear. Fourth and one, Jerry Rice, what you gonna do?
1: That don't compare to fourth and one in eternity. It doesn't matter who rejects us because we're always accepted by Christ. God loves you. Get off the floor and go door to door.
2: Can we talk to you for a minute?
1: I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. He loves you, but it might hurt. Sometimes I'll blow you up, but it's because I love you. Yeah, but just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I need to be out sharing my faith. I mean, ah! Don't you run for me! You can't escape my grasp, D. Gray, i throw you in the trash! Thanks to the evangelism linebacker, campus evangelism nationwide is up 87%. Ah,
2: thank you, Mr. Gray, I'll never do it again!
1: Hey, I can't go to the outreach today. I got, I just got some more important things I got to do. Uh-huh. Hey man, give me a break. I went to church on Sunday. I gotta go. Selfishness! The world needs a message for God to love the world! He wants to communicate it through you! If you procrastinate, you will open up the gate to a beatdown! Give me that phone, boy! When I see selfishness, it is my job to blow them up. That's what I do. I blow them up so that they can get their eyes off of self and look at Christ, the prize. What's
0: up, baby girl? Nah, I'm busy.
1: We're intrigued, as the linebacker is particularly effective in infiltrating centers of cultural and intellectual exchange. Here you go. Here's your double cappuccino
2: latte mocha with a twist. Not too hot, not too cold. Perfect for you. Yeah, but
1: anyway,
2: man, did you hear that talk from that guy the other night? Oh, I know. Like we were supposed to be sharing our faith in, like, coffee shop. (laughs)
1: Oh, shut
0: out in the coffee shop,
1: baby! You next? It's unlikely that the recent decline in coffee sales has anything to do with our program.
0: Pride comes before the fall. That's Old Testament. Old Testament, you know this.
2: Thanks for the coffee, Darren. Hey, you're welcome.
0: Have a nice
1: day. Your mama raised you better than this boy. Don't let me blow you up no more. You see, I think it's fitting, because when people have pride, that they're too prideful to share their faith, what I do is I knock the pride out of them. What I would like to communicate to my brothers and sisters is this. When you least expect it, around the corner, perhaps even under your bed, I can be in a phone wire. I can be everywhere. And just know that I'm always watching. Ready to lay the boom on you, baby. Booyah! Ouch. Are you ready for game day?
0: <laughs> Man, that video would be funny if it weren't what? So true, okay? And, and think about it, folks. I mean, if there really was... Let's just, just play with it along. If there really was a, an evangelism linebacker today... What would he do to you? Not what you plan to do moving forward, Lord willing, based on your current track record, would he give you a high five or would he blow you up? Booyah. What would he do? What would he do? In this time when our world and our country is being brought to their knees, out of, I would say, some hysteria, but still, people are freaking out looking for answers. And what are we doing? We're freaking out just as much as they are. When this is a golden opportunity, like our brothers and sisters in China, to get busy sharing the gospel. Here we have the good news the gospel, that's what it means and yet we keep treating it like it's the bad news and the most important thing for us to do right now is to store up toilet paper and water. Toilet paper is made out of wood last time I checked. That's the wood that I choose to worship and sorry if that's a little too graphic for you. We're off track. We should, be share- we should be thanking God. Thank you, God, for serving up such an awesome opportunity. Our country has been so arrogant. People have been so resistant to your truth. But now you've given us an opportunity. They're humbled. They're looking for answers. And here we come. And so far, we're not. Shame on us. If we've actually stopped sharing for the gospel to the lost and we can't even capitalize on this situation, and how in the world could we call ourselves witnesses for Christ the third and final one is you know what I think the reason why people are so apathetic and disconnected frankly they just give a rip they don't care for the lost. I'll never forget one time uh, where I was doing an internship and uh, the, the, the pastor was doing this uh, sermon and, uh, at a funeral and uh, was just dancing around with all due respect dancing around saying the actual word hell you know and, and the person uh, was probably not even saved okay but still that's not a time when you shrink back I'm not saying when you do a funeral you guys know me I've done many uh, here but you know you don't, don't just have to beat him over the head hell hell you know but, but don't don't act like th- there's, there's not one people are staring eternity square in the face this is not a time to wimp out but all that could ever come out was just here was, the, here was the stinger. Well, just, just didn't make it to heaven. What? That's the big concern that people need to hear if they don't accept Jesus Christ right now as their Savior when their time comes, and it comes for everybody. We've all got a clock ticking over our heads. Some get more time, some gets less. I can't see the clock, you can, not but God does. Job 14 5 says god has determined the length of our lives we're not even given a minute longer you're born on time you're gonna die in time and if you die apart from christ you're not just not going to heaven you're going to hell but apparently we don't care we don't care that the people around us are in danger of going to hell it isn't just you're not going to heaven there's a second place. How many times does Jesus have to say this, folks? Luke 16 is one classic, easy passage 22 through 28. For the time came when the beggar died, and the air, angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man, he died too. He was buried. And where? In hell, where he was partying up with his buddies. Because you heard people, oh, well, if there's a hell, I'm going to be down there partying my friend. <laughs> no, in torment is the word used there. He looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side and he he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm, I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham said, Son, remember, oh, people in hell will remember every church service they went to every time the pastor said you need to get saved through Jesus Christ right now. They'll remember every time a Christian did open their mouth and tell them about Jesus. They'll remember every time that they were given a gospel tract and they threw it on the ground. Remember? Remember? You had your opportunities, but you said no. Remember in your lifetime, you received good things? Well, Lazarus, he received bad things, but now he's being comforted here. You are in agony besides all this there's between us and you there's a great chasm that's been fixed so that so those you want to go from here to you cannot nor can anyone cross over there to us and he answered then, then I beg you oh listen to this then I beg you father send Lazarus to my father's house for I got five brothers let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment listen the people in hell right now wish the Christians on earth today would witness to their unsaved family did you see what he said? God, please, I'm doomed. I can't change it forever. I'm going to be in this place of torment. But oh, please send somebody to tell my family that they don't make this same eternal mistake. Oh, God. People in hell wish people on earth would witness. And yet what are people on earth, and I'm talking Christians, what's their attitude about witnessing? Yeah. That's what we pay the preacher to do no no we're gonna, we're gonna have this uh, once a year program uh, we're gonna have an evangelist come in and then he'll do all the work no 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 no. We're, we're gonna launch a committee for God so loved the world that he did not send a committee what he did is he, every born again Christian he sent them with the power of the Holy Spirit he says don't even worry about what words you, I'll give you the words to say he'll take care of it you just gotta open up your mouth every Christian is a witness but that's not what we're doing what's happened to us I mean the the lost doesn't want to hear about hell I think we could agree on that right we say after we got saved oh God thank you for saving me from hell but then from that day forward apparently we act like hell doesn't exist what's going on Jesus talked more about hell than he ever did about heaven do the study Why? Because Jesus is love. Because Jesus came and died on the cross not to save us from a mediocre life or a low self-esteem or a poor economic existence. He came to save us from hell. And and, and that's why he told people, because hell is real, and he loves you enough to not only tell you, but provide the way out. So surely that's what we're doing? Are you kidding me? We, We don't even want to exist. Act like it exists, like it's even a part of our life and yet folks listen to this I don't have time to go into a whole giant scriptural study but let's remind ourselves of that place one guy he bases it scripturally he describes it like this he says listen this is from D.R. Baker he says for a moment let us try to imagine what it would be like to die and end up in hell he said try to imagine that for every single moment throughout all of eternity time without end every inch of your body will be in absolute pain it will be like having scalding boiling water poured over your body every single second and you say to yourself, surely the pain will subside but it never comes. Your body will have an eternity without rest or without relief. It's writhing in pain. You scream in horror. You feel your feet and hands blister. Your hair catches on fire. You gnaw at your tongue. You you try desperately to relieve the torment. Your throat becomes raw from all your screaming. You gasp for air and the burning brimstone flows into your mouth. You're on fire inside and out. You're in this permanent dwelling place of total torment and you burn with such pain. It's almost like your eyes are melting their sockets. And then through the smoke and the flame you finally focus on the worms. They're told engulfing your body they're crawling all over you realizing horror they're feasting on you you can feel them crawling in and out but you're not consumed and then the horrid smell the blazing sulfur the sickening odor of burning hair and scorching flesh in your nose the nausea it overwhelms you the roar of the flames the piercing screams of the damn, they tear at your ear drum. oh just for a moment of silence but it never comes and you can't run away this time and then you remember and your thoughts return to the time when you were in a Bible believing preaching church and you can still remember the time when the preacher was talking about this hopeless place of darkness and pain, but you didn't want to listen. And so now for all eternity, you're going to scream those words again and again, over and over, but they're not heard. This is not fantasy. This is not imagination. This is your reality. Your reality was rejecting Jesus Christ. What did I just say that was unbiblical? Nothing. It's all based on biblical description. Of a place that Jesus loved people enough to say, you know what? For God so loved us, He didn't wait for us to become perfect because we couldn't. He didn't wait for us to become good enough because we can't. He said, listen, I don't want people to go there. Matthew 25 20, uh, says, listen, the hell was originally created not for people, but for the devil and for demons. That's what it was originally created for. But if you want to rebel and reject Christ just like the devil, just like the demons, then to hell you will go. But Jesus said listen I don't want you to go there and I'm not going to wait for you to become perfect. I don't care what you've done. I died on the cross for you. I'm willing to save you from everything so that you can escape that place and join me in the complete polar opposite a place called heaven beyond our wildest dreams. And yet we sit there and say this as Christians. Well well, if I start talking about hell, I might mean, I'm, I'm, I'm scare people off. Where are you going to scare them off to? Hell number two? What's the option here? What, what are we doing? Now, to show you how crazy this behavior is, because we're on a life-saving mission, really is what it is, being a witness for Christ. People in danger. In danger not just now, but forever. But imagine these scenarios, folks. Can you imagine, can you imagine if a lifeguard refused to save a drowning person? can you imagine that can you imagine if a paramedic refused to perform cpr nah, i don't want him i'm too busy can you imagine a heart surgeon refusing to do heart surgery on a patient he's got better things to do can you imagine a doctor refusing to tell a cancer patient that um, that they have cancer and unless they get treatment they'll die nah, i don't want them to get mad at me right hey can you imagine a policeman refusing to protect you from a burglar I mean, they're supposed to be a public servant, but ah, that's too bad. You're on your own. Hey, can you imagine a SWAT team refusing uh, to rescue a hostage? Uh, then th- Can you imagine a person, listen, taking a lifeboat from a sinking ship and then not letting anyone else in? You're going to get me dirty. Can you imagine a parent refusing to rescue their child from getting hit by a car? Right? I don't want to yell at them. Hey, can you imagine a fireman refusing to rescue somebody from a fire? Well, guess what, folks? Then why is it acceptable for a Christian to not witness to the lost who are in danger of the fires of hell? Crazy. It's one of the most unimaginable behaviors of all time. Listen to this stat. of professing Christians. I'll use that word heavily because it really concerns me. Professing Christians across the United States. You know what the stats are? 95% not 9 not 5 not 55 95% of professing Christians across America never once never not even once leads not even one person to Jesus. 95 What? How could you every week come to church services? You're being fed. You're being taught. You're being discipled. You're being encouraged. You're being ministered to. What's the whole reason why I'm up here teaching? Because I am to equip you for the ministering of the saints. What do we do? We minister and share the gospel with the lost. We're out there witnesses for Jesus. That's why we're here. You mean to tell me how many years you've been saved now? You mean, after, how, I mean think about it just from an economic point of view I mean why not people are more concerned about the economy than eternity how much money has been spent by the churches you've attended to pay for the staff to pay for the curriculum to pay for all these opportunities for you to grow and you've been sitting there and soaking it up and eating it up and not one person has been led to Christ what a waste that's worse than government spending but we're the church What are we doing? I shared this about a year ago. I checked my calendar when the last time I shared this. I want to share this again. I'm going to tell you why I shared it in about a year again. But folks, imagine somebody refusing to rescue somebody in a threatening situation. What would you do to that person? But let's take a look at this again.
2: An experienced firefighter was recently charged with grave neglect of duty prosecutors maintained that he had abandoned his responsibility when he failed to release rescue equipment. This resulted in the needless and tragic deaths of a family of five. Eyewitnesses were sickened when they discovered that the reason the firefighter remained locked in the emergency vehicle was simply because he was testing a new high-tech CD player, which he maintained he had bought as a gift for the fire chief. The fire chief immediately distanced himself from the defendant, and he dishonorably discharged him from the department. In a prepared statement, the chief said, quote, there are no words to describe such a betrayal of those he was sworn to protect. The lead prosecuting attorney argued that for more than three minutes after arriving on the scene, the firefighter wore earphones and listened to a CD while a family of five was screaming to be rescued from the sixth floor of a burning building. Horrified onlookers, related that as flames licked her clothing, a mother cried out in terror and fell to her death while still clutching an infant in her arms. Other witnesses said that the father was clutching two terrified children as he was engulfed by the massive flames. This terrifying drama took place in full view of the firefighter as he remained seated in the vehicle, listening to the CD. The defense pleaded no contest but added that the defendant went to great personal sacrifice to purchase the expensive gift for the chief and hoped that the judge would take that into consideration as he passed sentence. What do you think is a fitting punishment for this serious crime? 2 years in prison? 20 years? A life sentence? Capital punishment? You be the judge. Yeah,
0: let's let's be the judge. What would you do? Say you were serving in that courtroom in that situation. How would you rule? What would be fitting punishment for that guy? I mean, what sentence would you give that guy sitting in his truck listening to CDs while people were burning alive? You know where I'm going with this. How is that man's behavior any different than Christian's? 95% of the professing church who day after day after day refuse to tell their family their co-workers their friends their neighbors about the flames of hell it's the good news not the bad news and guess what they not only refuse to tell them what they're doing they are sitting in their house listening to their CD players they're watching Netflix watching the news worried about hey can I get some toilet paper instead of telling people hey through Jesus Christ you cannot just go to heaven you can escape from going to hell what's wrong with us? I think we're trying to ignore the obvious. Listen to the churches as we close. In our country, when Christians first got here, have you ever actually read the Mayflower Compact? Have you ever done any research on the Puritans and the pilgrims when they first came here? You know why they came here? It wasn't just for economic purposes. They came here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when they bur- built church facilities, listen to this: when the first church buildings were built in America, the listen, the graveyard was not only built within the churchyard, but the church building themselves had clear windows instead of stained glass. I pastored on the East Coast for five years. That's still there. It, it, it's kind of creepy, right? You go there, and it's like, man, you guys are inside of a cemetery. No, they built it that way on purpose. Listen, why? Because they wanted the pastor to see the graveyard while he preached. So that he would be reminded of the urgency of the message he preached every time to the congregation. And every time he looked out the window, he was constantly reminded that everybody who sat in the pews right before him, including himself, as he spoke God's word, those people would eventually fill the cemetery out the window and they would all be standing before God. You see, back then, the first and foremost priority of the church in America was to bring men and women and children into a right relationship with our Lord Jesus Christ. But now, our sanctuaries are built with windows you cannot see through, and a cemetery is nowhere to be found. And because of that, we have not only forgotten what life's all about, we no longer see the real work that needs to be done. And that is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ not freaking out and storing up toilet paper. Man, this should be a... We should, every week, this place should be flooded with, with new people coming to Christ because they are freaking out. They don't have the hope of Christ, but we do, and they should see us still with the joy of God, confidence in God, hope in God, and they're going, hey, I can't even get that from toilet paper. Where'd you get it? Can I have it? And we lead them to Jesus. This should be the most amazing time for us, and we're missing the boat out there across America. My prayer as your pastor is that we don't miss it here at sunrise. There's churches all across Las Vegas right now that are freaking out. Man, I hope not us. Yes, use common sense, yes, use wisdom. But don't miss this opportunity to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. And let's lead souls to heaven. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy? in Heaven, we can become qualified the The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we 've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes, gone to court. The gavel's been passed. The judge has said, hey, listen, we all know you're guilty. Uh, You even admit you're guilty. And uh, for your crimes, you're going to not just jail, you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty. And did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row? It's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free.
2: God bless.